But it is RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call at radiojustice.org, where something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you on the bus, train, plane, or simply at the water cooler or in Cubicle Nation. Today on Conversation Piece, join the GRID GLA movement with Alex Turek of GRID Alternatives which is a national leader in helping low-income communities and communities of color nationwide get clean, affordable solar power and solar jobs. They help families replace gasoline with sunshine and save them money. GRID believes free, clean electricity from the sun should be available to everyone. Welcome to Conversation Beats. We'll be right back. Welcome to Conversation Piece. We have Alex Turek, Program Manager of Grid Alternatives. Alex, welcome here. Hello, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, always good to have someone here to tell us about some new innovations with saving money and Mm -hmm. using the sunshine, right? That's right. Now, what is Grid Alternatives and what do you guys do? The nation's largest solar nonprofit. The simple mission to expand solar access to underserved communities and those communities that need those utility bill savings the most. Uh, So we work with low-income homeowners, affordable housing developers and their residents, uh, mission-aligned nonprofits to make sure that everyone is included in this energy transformation that we're all uh, going through right now, especially in California. And it's not just reserved for higher-income households, but really everyone can benefit from it. Right, because when we see solar panels, we usually see them... um in the mid-income mm-hmm. on up mm-hmm. communities. And especially those who own homes with big rooftops who can afford that upfront investment. Because it is an investment upfront um, without state subsidy, and I know we'll get into this in a little bit. Um, the state of California does a really good job of subsidizing solar for low-income households and renters as well. Um, and that's really where GRID comes in. We're kind of the state administrator of some of these programs. Um, you know, it's a conscious effort for, of the, by the state to expand solar access and, again, make sure this technology is uh, for all. And you guys are uh, obviously a trustworthy mm. company because otherwise we would not have you on Radio Justice as you are talking about um, economic and environment justice and in the um, communities of color. What is your guys' vision and your mission? So again, our vision is that everyone has access to these clean energy technologies, especially those communities who have shouldered the brunt of fossil fuel production, Um, especially in Los Angeles. There's been a story of oil development that goes back since the beginning of of the city of Los Angeles. Um, And it's no surprise that a lot of communities of color and low-income communities are the ones that live around these sources of pollution and really poor air quality. And you'll see increased incidences of asthma, 
heart attacks and other really negative health repercussions, that these are the folks that should be benefiting now from this new technology. Um, so that's really where we see our role um, to make sure that these technologies are affordable and that the, the people who need it most are benefiting from it. And that's really the just transition that we hear so much about, that, that as we transition and as we revolutionize our energy system, that everybody can take part in that revolution. Now, GRID Greater Los Angeles, GRID GLA, what is that territory? So our territory includes LA County, Orange County, and Ventura County. But we have six offices across California, um, including the Bay Area, Central Valley, San Diego. So we're all over California, and it's really a result of state policies that allow us to persist and to ensure our mission is successful. Now, what type of state policies are there? Well, one example is what's known as the SASH program. Uh, this was a program that resulted from the cap-and-trade program back in 2006. Uh, this program allows those homeowners that income qualify and reside in certain census tracts for what is effectively no-cost solar. And we're the state administrator of that program. Uh, we will finance the system, and there will be no upfront cost. And if you are a homeowner and you qualify, you start realizing those savings from month one. Savings? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a lot of savings. We, you know, you'll see between 60 up to 90% utility bill savings, and that can really do a lot for folks and their bank accounts. And, you know, that can go into their savings. That can go for other important life necessities like health care. Uh, you, you know, you and I were talking about we don't really think about utility bill costs. It's just a sunk cost. It's something that we accept. So when you see this drastic reduction of that expense in your month-to-month living and checkbook, it really makes a big difference. Right, because the only way you can really change that electric bill is to unplug things. That's right. So and that, and, the, and that, the onus is on you, right? It's on, it's on you. Where this makes it a little easier, we'll come in, we'll install the system, and you just sit back and enjoy the savings. Now, so just to make it real basic and elementary, you get the solar panel on your house, you still use your outlets. Mm -hmm. You don't have to change your electricity behavior at all. Uh, we, we generally also conduct energy efficiency training as well. You know, change your light bulbs, things like that to reduce your electricity consumption because that is important um, as consumers and as conscious electricity consumers who want to help the environment. Um, but you don't have to change anything. You'll just, we'll size the system to your current electricity load, and a lot of times, like I said, you'll see a, at least 80% savings. What happens to that meter that's on the side of your house? So the meter, oftentimes, when that sun is shining, they'll start running backwards, and that means- Get out of here. That means money in your bank account. I mean, and does it literally run it backwards? It literally runs backwards. Get out of it here, does. negative kilowatts? You're sending it into the grid. And the utility will take note and record how much energy you're sending to the grid. And over a month time, your consumption will be netted out with the amount of energy you send to the grid. And that's really where the savings lie. So is Edison going to come and knock on my door, or DWP, and say, what are you doing in here? No way. They've actually been really great partners in these state programs. Um, so no, they're, they're happy and encouraged 
you know, and a lot of, you know, the issue with the development of solar, especially over Los Angeles, is that it's been concentrated in wealthier neighborhoods, and that's not good for the grid. So they are more than than happy to help encourage adoption more diversely geographically in neighborhoods like Watts, in neighborhoods like Compton, in neighborhoods like yours in Inglewood. Um, so they've been really great partners for these programs. Now, how do you go about the process of qualifying your home for for this solar panel? Sure. Well, first, I would say go to our website, which is gridalternatives.org backslash GLA. Um, there's really two requirements. Your income has to be at least 80% of the area median income. I unfortunately do not have that number with me right now. Um, but if you go to the website, you'll see if you income qualify. And the second criteria is if you live in what's defined as a environmentally disadvantaged community. This is a map that the state created to ensure state investment went into census tracts who have shouldered the the brunt of environmental pollution um, or who face the most socioeconomic um, externalities and and negative consequences. So um, if you live in, in one of those census tracts and you income qualify, you qualify for what is effectively free solar. Airplanes flying over overhead, does that count? That counts. <laughs> that, that is air pollution right there. So Inglewood, for sure. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> now, with you guys, so you guys have this commitment to equity, is what, is what you're saying, mm -hmm. with the uh, under-resourced communities and communities of, of, of color. How do you educate them to make the switch from electricity to solar power? Because I know it's, you know, of course, it, it's a sales pitch, and everybody wants to save. So if you're telling them 90% of their electric bill is going to, to disappear, but it's retraining your, your mind and that I'm not, th this is, I'm not being tricked into something. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to be left high and dry if I need back services for for something like you were talking about, the, the leaky roofs yep. and what have you. So what type of support system is provided from the very beginning with changing your, your, your frame of mind mm -hmm. about energy use? Yeah, absolutely. And really, that's one of the, the, the top barriers we face uh, you know, it's easy to come around and say, we, this is a no-cost system. It'll save you 90% off your utility bills. But a lot of these folks and communities have been, have been sold a bill of goods before, and they've been exploited before, and there is an immediate skepticism there, as there should be. So oftentimes, we will partner with churches, local community-based organizations, really organizations that already have that built-in trust to... Spread, help spread our message to help educate the community members um, and to really spark that interest in benefiting the planet and saving money um, on your utility bills. How often do you guys go into, um, you know, into the community to, to do this? You guys have an outreach team where they specifically focus on some of those census tracts? Mm -hmm. Because I personally have not received anything in the mail yep. from, from GRID GLA. Yep. Well, 
Los Angeles is a very big place, first of all. Yeah, especially since you're covering three counties, Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> um, we have a very hardworking outreach team. Uh, some of them are specifically focused in target communities like Long Beach or uh, uh, other cities throughout Los Angeles County, like you said, those environmentally disadvantaged communities. Um, we're soon to be partnering with SCE to do a joint mailer, which is going to be, you know, the utility is one of those trustworthy sources. Um, so we're really excited about, about that outreach partnership. Um, but there's, like you mentioned, there's really a lot of ground to cover and we're, we're doing our best to spread the message of solar energy and of our program of providing no cost solar energy. And let me tell you, the best salesperson are our clients, really. Like we, we were talking before, you'll see clusters of solar in these neighborhoods because all it takes is one or, one or two and those one or two households to show off their utility bills and how much they're savings. And then their neighbors will start getting calls from their neighbors for sure. Right, because you're always going to ask your neighbor, what are you guys doing over there? Mm -hmm. what, what are these things you're What's putting? What's that racket over there? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. When is it going to be done? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and when it's done and they show the, the money savings. What about the insurance needs mm -hmm. for, for solar panel? You, if you own your home, and, of course, you have to have hazard insurance, what other type of insurance requirements is it for solar? Well, we provide pretty extensive warranties, a 10-year labor warranty. We have equipment warranties that go as high as 15 years. So we make a pretty conscious effort to ensure if anything goes wrong that's related to the solar system, you can call us up and, and we'll be going out. A lot of our construction staff's time is dedicated to service calls. Um, you know, most of the time there's not issues, but sometimes there are, and we'll be there to, to fix it for you. What's the most common issue? Roof leaks, especially this winter, um, you know, we're penetrating the rooftop. And so any little, little bit of opening will create, uh, you know, will spread and, and increase potential roof leaks. Um, so we'll work with roofers and we'll get out there and make sure everything's sealed up. It's not a, once we put on that solar, we're not, we're here for you and we'll, we'll help fi fix and solve any issues that might arise. Well, I do like like your your people first model that you guys are concerned about putting money back into the family's pocket, which of course puts money into the community. Hmm. Because now you maybe you want to support your schools differently because you have a little bit of extra cash. You want to support your parks and rec, and maybe do different things with your family that you never thought about before. You guys also um, create jobs, which is also putting money into the families on a different way. So it's almost like a, a, a two-path um, money trend that you guys have going on. That's right. We call it the triple bottom line at Grid Alternatives. And really, it's, it's hitting on the environmental benefits and two economic benefits, the utility bill savings and the job training and job creation that we help support. And I didn't even get into this from the beginning. We're just as large of a job training nonprofit as we are a solar nonprofit. We view every installation as a job training opportunity. We partner with trade schools, community college, job training organizations like Homeboy Industries to bring folks out on the roof and provide that hands-on training that they need to get a job in a rapidly growing solar industry.
and you guys do this worldwide. We do it worldwide. We have a, a growing international program. We have projects in Nepal, Mexico, and Nicaragua. Um, and, you know, I think this is a global mission of ours. This is a very valuable technology that translates our mission globally. I think we need to make sure that these technologies are not only in our most underserved communities here in the U.S., but throughout the globe. So when, we're, when you're talking about why solar, it, it hits that triple bottom line, mm -hmm. where it's not just for your home, but also for your livelihood, workforce, and, and then, of course, we haven't gotten to that yet, but also for your transportation. That's it. Exactly. And, and, you know, so encouraging to hear more and more people get behind something like a, a Green New Deal nationally, right? People are realizing that this is a whole new industry that we can unleash and create all these jobs, high-paying jobs, union jobs. We're only scratching the surface. California is a leader. For sure, we have by far the most solar jobs in the country, but this is a model that can be taken from state to state, and it could generate a whole new industry, and it's very encouraging to start to hear the conversation be commensurate to the climate threat that we are facing. Global warming. That's right. <laughs> As we have this winter. That's right. <laughs> with well, snow flurries at it. the Beverly Center. Oh, my it's goodness. It's abnormal climate, and... and more often than not, the repercussions will affect communities that face sea level rise, um, okay. global communities that will lower income communities that will be facing these the repercussions of climate change long before uh, wealthier um, communities of means. Right, and that just happens to be across the board for for everything that the your your under representative communities are going to feel the brunt of any negativity first. Mm -hmm. um, now, going back to, to the jobs, I, I was looking at you guys' website, and you guys were talking about the pathways out of poverty for, for people who would get into solar job training. And I was surprised to see that you guys stated that solar today employs over 250,000 people, twice as many as people in coal. Because when we think of coal mine, I don't know, we just think like a whole region of the country <laughs> and multi-generational <laughs> workers as, as coal miners have been movies, been songs about it. And now you're telling me that we're going to be having movies and songs about solar instead. Well, one can only dream. Uh, and, you know, out of those 250,000 solar jobs, 100,000 of those are right here in California. So we're really at the beginning of this new industry that has so much potential that we can shape it the way we want. You know, our job training program, we have three specific programs, one tailored to bringing more women into solar, one tailored to bringing more veterans who are coming home back into solar, and a reentry program as well to get those formerly incarcerated uh, back into work, uh, taking pride in work, and being you know 
a contributing member of society once again? Only 7% of solar installation jobs require a bachelor's degree. And most are just low entry. Mm -hmm. And that's true. I mean, you don't need a lot of skill beforehand. And there's so many pathways that you can go with it after training. We have so many folks come through and then get jobs with IBEW and the electrical unions. Uh, the sky is really the limit, and the and the industry is growing so rapidly that the ability to move vertically within the industry is there. And we've seen a lot of trainees start their own companies or work their way up in, in one of the larger solar companies. Yeah, the Department of Energy reports per you guys site that nearly five times more jobs in solar than with fossil fossil fuel you know how you know here in california you either got a job in the aerospace mm -hmm. industry and you stay there forever and retire or you were at one of the refineries at so when i get a solar job where am i working it is fairly well distributed you there are large solar companies in San Diego County, obviously Los Angeles County, Orange County. There, it's not really concentrated in one, one place like the aerospace or the oil refinery uh, industry. Um, I think that's an advantage, too. If you want to bring this work to your family in the Inland Empire, there's a large collection of opportunity there as well. So you're just wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go. I, I relate it a lot to construction. You know, we're constructing new homes throughout California and we're installing solar throughout California. So that demand is um, not really geographically concentrated in one area. It's pretty scattered throughout the state and the country as well. And you guys say solar jobs are good jobs. Solar jobs are good jobs. And what's great about it as a, an employee and an installer, you know, speaking with a lot of our trainees and a lot of former trainees who now have quality employment in the industry is it it's that sense of giving back the sense that they're contributing something greater to the community and to the, our planet really and not many jobs can say that okay well you're listening to conversation piece on radio justice morning wake-up call i am your host angela birdsong with alex turek of grid gla showing us how to replace local air pollution with clean energy, and we'll have more after this break. Humming in the sun Showing up fun for everyone Humming in the sun Welcome back to Conversation Piece. I'm your host, Angela Birdsong, with Alex Turek of Grid Alternatives, where they help to put solar power and jobs where they are needed most. We were talking about the, the job training that you guys provide. Why would someone want to hire a grid trainee? So we take a lot of pride in the skills that we are able to bestow on our trainees and employers have come to really trust the trainee that we produce. A shout out to my colleague Adewale Ugambadejo, who's our workforce development manager. He has worked so hard to create relationships with 
local job employers. He hosts at least two job fairs a year where our trainees can interact and have on-the-spot interviews with solar employers. So, you know, training is one thing, and we take so much pride in our training, but we take just as much pride in connecting our trainees to full-time employment. And you guys have a hands-on solar ins installation experience where you guys have a, a set of things, uh, job safety, fall protection, etc. It sounds like solar training should be one of the vocations provided in our um, public school curriculum. I agree, and I think more and more community colleges and trade schools are realizing the demand for solar and other clean energy technology installers and workers. You know, we, we work a lot with these schools and complement what trainees are learning in the classroom with those hands-on training and skills. What are some of the other key program areas that you guys offer? So the program that I manage actually is, is our commercial program, and that includes multifamily affordable housing as well as Mission Align nonprofit. Just this weekend, we installed at the Downtown Women's Center in Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles to help reduce their energy burden and reduce their utility bills so that they can better serve their crucially important mission. Now, the multifamily affordable housing, you know, we're, we're all experiencing this statewide and really countrywide housing crisis right now. And one thing that solar allows us to do is to help soften the, the burden of, of living cost, really. So this is a very exciting new program. The state of California is planning in April of this year, the SOMA program, the Solar on Multifamily Affordable Housing, is set to launch. And this is by far the state's largest investment of solar in affordable housing to date. It's $1 billion over 10 years. And it's really, the goal is really to expand solar access to those facing the greatest barriers, and those being low-income renters. So if you are a property owner of, or an uh, investment property owner, this is something that you most definitely should want to participate in. Well, this program has a bit more criteria than our single family program. One, the property needs to be deed restricted, which means there needs to be a rental covenant in place. There needs to be a, an affordability covenant in place. A lot of these property owners will leverage low-income housing tax credits from the state or the federal level to subsidize the rent and to maintain the affordability of the rent for their low-income residents. So it would be a huge um, benefit and opportunity for an investment property owner to participate in this. If that investment owner has the affordability covenant in place um, and you know, this is a very exciting program, the SOMA program, Solar on Multifamily Affordable Housing. It is a deliberate policy from the state to expand solar access to affordable housing residents. It's $1 billion over 10 years, and it's set to start April of this year. If you are renting, if you have, if your property is set up for Section 8 housing, mm -hmm. is that considered deed restricted? Correct. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's listening, mm -hmm. if you have property and you know you have Section 8 um, tenants, then you will qualify for this program. And we need you to go to the website and do what? Reach out to me. Uh, and that website is gridalternatives.org backslash GLA. You'll, find, you'll come across our multifamily page. You'll get my contact information. And what's great is we provide f free technical assistance to multifamily affordable housing owners. We'll take a look at your rooftop. We'll take a look at your utility bills and really outline the investment that you'll be making for you and your residents. And I know you said commercial multifamily. So with this... Also, if you have four units that were Section 8 housing, would this qualify for this, or is it more than four units? Good question. Like I mentioned, a bit more criteria for this, at least five units. So if you have a duplex or triplex, unfortunately, this program doesn't align with you. But a lot of these housing complexes, uh, you know, they can get as large as 200-plus units. What about the public housing? Are you guys partnering with them? Yep. So those are owned by the housing authority of the city of Los Angeles, HACLA. Yeah, so complexes such as Nickerson Gardens are owned by HACLA, the housing authority of the city of Los Angeles. They do qualify as well. Those are deed-restricted housing. Um, so we are exploring partnerships opportunities with HACLA. What does HACLA stand for? The Housing Authority of the City of Los Angeles, um, they oversee all of the public housing in the City of Los Angeles. And are they part of this Green New Deal that you were talking about? They are not. They can be. Uh, they were actually just successful in earning uh, more than $30 million from the state through the Transformative Climate Communities Initiative to transform the neighborhood of Jordan Downs. There will be solar, EVs, really massive job training programs. So, and it's exciting, I think, the Green New Deal is, is kind of setting the idea into place, and I think LA is starting to do a bit more to actually implement some of those ideas. So, through things like the Transformative Climate Communities, Mayor Garcetti just announced that Three of our local natural gas plants will be shut down within the next 10 years. So we're starting to see some on-the-ground changes that are the actual implementation of what's being set at the federal level through the Green New Deal. Well, as we're talking about homes within this new Green Deal um, and solar power, what about these older homes in Los Angeles? How can their roofs handle these panels, uh, if at all? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, I talked earlier about this trust factor and establishing the trust with households. That's one of the biggest barriers that we have. These folks have been taken advantage of before. Another equal barrier that we have to contracting with homeowners is the quality of the roof. You know, a lot of these homes are older, and it's either the electrical or the age of the roof that prevents us from installing for them. So we've worked hard in the last couple of years to partner with roofing companies, to write grants that allow us to first re-roof the portion of, of the rooftop that the solar will be installed on, and then install. So we're trying to overcome that barrier. Uh, so if you do have an older roof, or if you do have an older electrical system, don't, don't think that that prevents you from 
benefiting from our program. It just takes a, a longer process. It takes a longer process, but you'll get a newer roof on the other end of it and some solar to go along with it. What What is the timeline for for this whole thing? If you're talking about your your individual single family residence. Sure. So from contract signing to what we call permission to operate when the system's actually on is about a four month process. You know, like any other construction, there is a permitting process. We have to go through the utility for interconnection, and that could take time. It could take, you know, t- as much as six months, but I'd say usually about four months is from contract signing is when you can expect to see those savings. Why does it take so long to get the permits? Is it the city that holds it up? Cities are still getting used to solar, and that's one of the things that they're getting better at. Uh, definitely places like the city of Los Angeles are seeing more and more solar installations, so with more experience, they're becoming more comfortable with permitting solar, but it's still a relatively new technology. So cities are always precautionary when it comes to permitting, and solar is no exception. When, when was solar first introduced a, as an energy source? Ooh. Besides, besides you know, out, out <laughs> getting, yeah. getting, well, getting sun and, and what have you, but, but a viable source. So... I am not a solar historian. I remember Jimmy Carter had solar panels installed on the White House. So at least from that time on, I mean, of course, the the reason we're seeing more and more solar is that the cost of solar has really plummeted over the last 20 years, and especially in the last 10 years, to make it affordable and to make that payback period, period even shorter. Um, but this has been a technology that's been known for decades. Um, I think there's been some interest to try to prevent the more widespread uh, adoption of the th- technology. But I think the cat's out of the bag. I think that, you know, it's on par with other technology sources such as natural gas, coal. So you'll see larger utility scale solar that, that utilities invest in because it's just as cost effective as traditional fossil fuels, not even when taken into account the negative externalities such as pollution and the health consequences of, of burning fossil fuels. What is the Department of Energy projection and the rise of solar and the decrease in fossil fuel? Do they have those kind of projections where, I don't know, in 2030, it's going to be 80% solar, mm. 20% fossil fuel? So I, I don't think the Department of Energy has set guidelines or a, a schedule for the adoption of solar, but you definitely see states and cities um, setting these targets. You see places like the city of San Diego and the city of Los Angeles committing to 100% clean energy in within 20 years or 30 years. Um, so I think it's happening at a much more local level where there's more local control uh, and places like Los Angeles, places like California, where they take these issues much more seriously, you see much more aggressive targets and timelines. During the break, you were talking about community solar. What is that? So simply, community solar is really a single large solar array that multiple households can benefit from. Um, this solar array will often be off-site and the people who can benefit from it are those who can't install solar at home for a number of reasons. Like we were talking about before, it can be a bad rooftop or they can be renters. Over half of Californians rent. 
And right now, there's not really a way for renters to access solar. That's a huge swath of the population, and especially a lower income population, that can't access these benefits to solar. So community solar is really a mechanism to allow people to co-own and share in the benefits of a single large community solar array. It's been successful in places like Colorado and Minnesota. It has yet to take hold in California. But that's one thing we're advocating um, at, at, at the state level. We're actually hosting an event this upcoming Thursday, February 28th in Long Beach. The event is called Our Shared Solar Future, Expanding Access Through Community Solar. And you can register for that event at leaps.eventbrite.com. That's L-E-E-P-S dot eventbrite.com. And that's where you will learn about the community solar? Exactly. Even if you know nothing, we're going to have a couple panels showcasing successful models from around the country, discussing what it takes for the policy to really benefit everyone. Um, And then we'll kind of look inward to California about what policy changes need to take place so that we can have a progressive community solar policy and so that people who rent or who can't host solar at their households can also benefit from solar. How do you scout locations for for that that that's that, that community solar panel? It does have to be indoors, outdoors. It could really be anywhere. It could be a rooftop system. It could be a ground mount system. I know our office, sister office in Colorado, has installed you know megawatts of solar in places like brownfields or places where you can't really develop the land because it's been used for say toxic chemical purposes in the past. So it's really a unique and innovative way to reuse the land to benefit the citizens, again, especially those of lower income and who rent, uh, to reduce their energy burden so they can save their money or spend it to help stimulate the local economy. So it's almost like community gardening. Exactly. And even in Minnesota, it's referred to as solar gardens. Solar gardens. Okay. And... You know, when, and when you're driving around town, especially in the South Central Los Angeles area, and you see vacant lots, those would be good locations for these solar gardens. Perfect candidates. Uh, I think you'll see the most cost-effective installations on ground mount, and those are the, the systems that are on the ground. Often you'll see out near the desert in Eastern California, extremely large solar arrays, the advantage of those is that they're extremely cost-effective. You gain a lot of economies of scale when installing them, so the savings are even greater because you're co-investing in this very large, cost-effective and low-cost system, so the benefits are even greater. I'm thinking of there. there's parts of Los Angeles where you have those high... Um, Tower, wire towers, mm. and you have all this land underneath them. And I know some places have been changing them into um, green belts mm-hmm. where you can, you know, walk your dog, jog, walk your children, what have you. Would, would that coincide well? Definitely. And what's great about those kind of transmission line areas is that the utility owns that right of way a lot of times, or the city does. So both of those parties, the city and the utility, they're going to need to be willing partners in a successful community solar program. So those are definitely potential areas that could host a system. Especially when you're looking at densely populated 
um, rental mm-hmm. places for for that community solar, which is what you were you were talking about. Exactly, land is really a premium in in very urban settings. So. If, where there is open land, those can be very, or unusable land, you know, in, in quotes, um, that can be used for a solar array. Or it can be a rooftop system at, say, a municipal building or a large corporate anchor subscriber. Um, you know, it could be good PR if they use a large, their large industrial rooftop space for a, solar, a community solar system that benefits the community around them. How far does a home have to be from the, the, the solar garden in order to, to reap benefits? It depends on the policy. In places like Minnesota, you can be on one side of the state and benefit from a, a solar array on the other side of the state. Right now, uh, in California, there's not a policy mechanism for that remote benefit. Uh, that's one thing we're, we're advocating for, though, because that's really integral to a successful community solar program is the ability to benefit from an off-site system. So there's also a balance, though, that you want this to be a community, you know, you want it to go for its, you know, live up to its name and be a true community solar uh, program and project. Oftentimes you'll have advocates want that to be a part and co-owned by the community. So even the co-benefits, like the job training and the actual ownership of the system is benefiting the community in which the households are benefiting from the system. You're saying, for instance, where we're here in the, the Los Angeles area, and at RGLA Studios, we're off of Pico and La Brea. If there was a solar garden and Palos Verdes, we can benefit from from that distance. Yeah, of course. And I know you said from one side of the state to another mm-hmm. side of the state for for Minnesota, well, we, yeah. but I mean we can't yet. Right. That's what we're advocating but for. But that's the power. That that's that's the, the, the and you know it's not even that difficult. It's really a billing mechanism that allows that. You just need the utility to be able to capture and record the production of the community solar system and then allocate those benefits to the different members that are subscribed to the community solar program. So there's not that many barriers to doing it. Um, and that's why you see other states uh, implementing programs like these. And that's why we need kind of an advocate and activist bottom-up um, you know, goal of a more widespread community solar program. And as you're explaining it, it makes me think of how the the antenna towers are in Mount Wilson, hmm. and everybody benefits from from that. So it's the same type of concept. Definitely, we're all interconnected to the same grid. Um, you know, these are energy is going in and being transferred all around. So again, it's really just recording how much your solar array is producing, and then allocating those benefits to the subscribers. And I'm really surprised California is, so what has to happen for, is California thinking about it? Or why have we not, why why are we behind Minnesota? Yeah, (laughs) I know, right? You you would think, you know, we've been the leader in clean energy technologies for so long now that that we would really be at the forefront of this. But unfortunately, we're we're kind of secondary in it. It's definitely on our radar. Uh, the IOUs, the investor-owned utilities such as Southern California Edison, have just 
propose two new programs that offer some benefits. We feel that it's a, an important first step, but really California should be at the forefront of this policy, especially from an equitable standpoint. And this is the first step into a much broader and much more effective community solar program. So that's one thing that we're advocating for. That's one thing that I think you know we'll be pushing for through things like this event that we have coming up this Thursday. Um, so stay tuned. But it's definitely on the state's radar. They actually just awarded a $5 million grant, a series of grants of up to $5 million for pilot programs. So they're testing the, these things out. Um, and, and I think between the, the policy changes that have taken place and the lessons learned from these pilot programs will be to a place we need to be within the, the next couple of years. But we got to make sure, you know, we hold the decision makers accountable and advocate for the policies that work best for all. And you've uh, you've talked about I don't know how many billions of dollars already. So obviously solar is is the new gold. <laughs> it's it's California's new gold. It definitely is. And one advantage is the cap and trade program that we have. You know, which advocates disagree on, but one thing we do agree on is that it generates revenue that can then be reinvested into new technologies that need it. Um, you know, oil is heavily subsidized at the federal level. All these fossil fuels are subsidized. So I think it's only right that a clean energy technology is subsidized by the state as well. And what's so great is that it is a deliberate intention of the state to invest, like we mentioned before, in disadvantaged communities, both economically disadvantaged and environmentally disadvantaged. Solar power. I, th I think I'm ready to get um, <laughs> right? that, that on, 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 on my roof and maybe um, um, see if they're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, I'll tell you, they are hiring, and you should. I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's local power production. It's democratization of, of power. For so long, we've depended on utilities to generate power from dirty fuel sources, far outside of where we live. This is an opportunity to kind of take that back and produce this power ourselves. So it's got a bit of a power to the people type feel to it. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that once you have it, you're, you'll be looking back saying, what took me so long? Wow, you said power to the people. And that's one thing here at Radio Justice, we always say, all power to all oppressed people. And who knew that it would also come through the source of the form of solar power. Let's talk about this event that's going to be happening on February 28th. Is it open to everyone or do you have to be an official solar <laughs> no, no, person? No, no, no. We want as many activists and advocates in the crowd as possible, whether it's climate justice or clean energy or economic equity. Um, we feel community solar is a very powerful tool to expand solar access and we really want the most progressive community solar policy to be implemented here in California and this is the start of that advocacy um, so not limited to solar wonks or uh, you know solar employees we really want the community there I mean I, I come back to it. It, it we'd like to we'd like our community solar policy to live up to its name and we'd like the community involved um, from the beginning of the conversations, which is what this is. It's not the beginning of the conversation, 
but it's you know the start of what we feel to be our advocacy for uh, the most progressive community solar prog- program that we can get. What what should everybody expect to to do while at this event? Well, it's two panels and a couple of keynotes. Um, the first panel will introduce everybody to community solar, what it is, where it's been successful. We have people coming from all around the country to discuss models that have worked in New York, in Colorado, uh, up in Washington. Um, you know, so these things are springing up around the country. So we'll uh, take a look at, at those models and, and learn what we can from there. And then in the second panel, we'll look inward to California and discuss recent policy developments and why we think they're good first steps, but in no way the final steps and what we need to do to make sure um, you know, we get the community solar policy that, that we'd like to see and that can benefit renters and other low-income households the most. How can um, people get involved with GRID? Multiple ways. You, if you want to come learn and potentially pursue a career in the solar industry, we have free job training. We have certification programs where you could learn things like conduit bending and wiring of panels and meters. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned before, we will work hard with you to connect you to employment. So there's one path. If you want to volunteer and just get on the rooftop and install a panel, you know, a system down in Inglewood or up in Pacoima or in Long Beach, it's really a great way to give back to the community. We have a lot of people who love to volunteer with us, um, and it's fun. It's it's construction work. You're you're plugging things in and you're benefiting the community and the planet. Um, so I'd say those are the, the two best ways to become involved with GRID, and even more so if you are a homeowner and you think you might qualify for our program, please reach visit our website uh, and, and reach out to us. We would love to get you solar and to start lowering your utility bills. And anyone who's listening who wants to partner mm-hmm. with, with GRID, different cities or, or churches, community organizations, how do they do that? Visit our website and reach out. Um, contact if you are a church or a nonprofit or a similar type of organization. Uh, you can reach out to myself at aturek, T-U-R-E-K, at gridalternatives.org. And we could talk about bringing solar and the benefits of solar, both the savings and the job trading potential, to your and uh, your organization. I just thought of something. And I'm sure you guys already already do this, but as as downtown Los Angeles and other areas are putting up these large buildings, what's on the roof of those buildings besides the the AC, um, you know, systems and what have you? Would would that be a good place for a solar garden? Definitely. And and is that viable? Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's a lot of new construction regulations that are starting to come out that require these properties to be solar ready, which means to create enough room on the rooftop to run conduit from the electrical room to the rooftop. So it's the it's as least expensive as possible to install solar. So people are thinking about this in building codes and things like that. So you're right. I think 
Rooftops are the ideal space in an urban environment to install solar. Make sure that we have the most usable space that we can. Once again, give the website your contact information and then let us know what's next. With so I, it sounded like this, this whole conversation was tell, letting us know what's what's next. Mm. But what are some of the project goals you guys have for 2019? Sure. So our website is gridalternatives.org slash GLA. Um, that's for our organization website. If you are interested in learning more about Community Solar and joining us for this event, to register for that event, the website is Leaps. L-E-E-P-S dot eventbrite dot com. And 2019, I think, is going to be a very exciting year for us. Uh, we're continuing to pursue a pilot community solar program here. So keep an eye out for that. We'd love to be the first low and moderate income community solar program in development. Um, beyond that, we're getting more into electric vehicles. We're getting into clean energy technologies. We didn't even get into it. Energy storage, which is a very exciting technology that when paired with solar allows you to go completely off grid. So in a place like Los Angeles where there's a lot of brownouts, um, this allows you to kind of island off and be a self-sustaining electricity source for the, for the community. Uh, if there is a disaster, um, you can maintain energy in blackout events. So if people need to charge their phones or if the elderly have uh, you know, health equipment, medical devices that need to remain plugged in for their lives, then this is a very powerful uh, combination of technologies that I think offers a lot of resiliency and, and support for the community. So I think those are the areas. And of course, our bread and butter, which is to expand solar access to low-income homeowners, and affordable housing developers. Uh, I'd say those are the new uh, pathways that we have that I'm looking forward to in 2019. Very interesting. It's a very exciting time. It's it really you know we we don't come across these transformational moments too much in our history. Right. And our energy system has been the same for centuries. Right. It's been a central kind of generation source. And all these transmission lines that go out, but we're completely turning that on its head. Where the generators are now households and schools and nonprofits and affordable housing. And it's becoming so much more localized and dispersed that it is extremely exciting and the potential is huge. All right. Well, you guys heard it here on Conversation Piece. And Alex, thank you so much for, I, for joining me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, you guys know about this event that you most definitely want to check out our shared solar future expanding access through community solar February 28th from 9:30 a.m. to 2:30 p.m. at Hotel Maya and Long Beach where they're going to have a full day talking about community community solar access and of course grid alternatives is one of the hosts of this conference if you want more information about it to RSVP, you want to go to leaps, L-E-E-P-S dot eventbrite dot com, leaps dot eventbrite dot com. And they also have um, a Facebook page. You guys have a Facebook mm -hmm, page, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So just go on Facebook and search for grid or you can just go to Radio Justice Facebook page and you will see a posting on there um, for for grid also. 
Well, thank you to my conversation piece guest, Alex Turek of Grid Alternatives, Greater Los Angeles, who shows us how to put money back into the community, putting money back into families' pockets by reducing the energy cost burden for housing providers and jumpstarting solar careers by making solar a win for everyone. GRID is the leading voice in low-income solar policy and the nation's largest nonprofit solar installer, serving families throughout California, Colorado, the Mid-Atlantic region, and tribal communities nationwide. For more information about GRID Alternatives, go to gridalternatives.org forward slash G-L-A. Thank you to Leslie Rafford. The force, how about the solar force, <laughs> behind RGLA, Adam Rice, program director, Joseph Tucker, engineer and producer, Michael Washington of MWatch Soul for the opening and closing theme song, and always you, our RJLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes, please, as you listen to us worldwide, anytime on RadioJustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong once again. Thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of conversation piece on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love. 